0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, June 25th, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. The Cato Institute has, in principle, ended a dispute with two of its shareholders, Charles and David Koch. I spoke with Cato's chairman, Bob Levy, about the change. From 1977 to about right now, how has Cato been structured?
1: Well, Cato was co-founded by Ed Crane and Charles Koch in the 1970s. And Ed Crane put up management skills, and Charles Koch put up the seed capital. Um, Beginning in the late 70s, Cato was structured as a stockholder corporation. This is very unusual for a nonprofit. Uh, We had four shareholders. And the shareholders had as their function the election of the board of directors. Now, in the nonprofit world, if you're a stockholder corporation, it doesn't mean that the stockholders own the assets. It doesn't mean that they have a personal share in the donations. What it does mean is they get to elect uh, the board of directors. And that's the way Cato was structured. That's unusual, but it's not impermissible. It's permitted under federal law. It's permitted under the law of Kansas, where Cato was incorporated. For 30 years, our stockholders didn't meet. And so, essentially, The stockholders did not fulfill their uh, obligation to elect directors. Instead, our directors elected themselves. We had a self-perpetuating board. And indeed, that's the usual structure of nonprofits. Nonprofits are usually controlled by what's called members. And the members, in most cases, are the directors themselves. And whenever there's a vacancy on the board or whenever somebody's term expires, The board itself elects the successor, a self-perpetuating board. So for 30 years, that's the way Cato functioned. The stockholders, even though we had them, did not meet. But beginning two years ago, uh, Charles and David Koch decided that they wanted to have a couple of their own representatives on the board, and they elected two of their representatives. Because they had 50% of the stock, they were entitled to elect up to 50% of the board. So they elected two. And then in October of 2011, Bill Niskanen, one of the four shareholders, died. And so instead of four shareholders, we had three shareholders plus the Niskanen Estate. The Kochs argued that they therefore held two thirds of the shares. We argued on the board, no, the Niskanen Estate was the shareholder, succeeding Bill Niskanen himself. That became the subject of litigation when the Kochs filed a lawsuit contesting what would happen to Bill Niskanen's shares. And that lawsuit is pending uh, as we speak.
0: The Kochs asserted a specific interpretation of contract law related to the shares that control the ownership of the Cato Institute. Uh, is, is that essentially what the case is about?
1: Essentially that's what the legal issue is about. The Kochs did have a view of a shareholder's agreement that had been signed by all of the shareholders. Our argument is that that shareholder's agreement does not apply in these circumstances and that even if it does apply, the Kochs have misread its provisions. And so that's the technical legal issue that would have to be resolved by the Kansas courts. And tentatively, a trial date had been set for January of 2013. But of course, there's a much more important issue much more critical to uh, uh, us at Cato. And that is not the division of shareholdings. It is rather whether Cato can successfully function if it's being perceived as a partisan or an aligned or an arm of a special interest. Our argument is that Cato must be non-aligned, non-partisan, and strictly independent of all special interests. And so the stockholder structure in and of itself is a problem for the Cato Institute, because even if it does not compromise our independence, it could be perceived as compromising our independence. We would be perceived as a mouthpiece for special interests, and we cannot function effectively if we are perceived in that manner.
0: There is uh, some sort of tentative agreement. Where does that stand uh, now? Uh, what happens to the shareholders' agreement, and how will Cato be governed in the future if the ink dries on this? There is an agreement
1: in principle. It has been signed by uh, parties on both sides. It is yet to have been uh, reduced to formal, or I should say expanded to uh, formal legal documents, but that is in process. But we do have agreement on all of the major provisions. And we would expect that that agreement, in principle, will be converted into formal legal documents and we will have a settlement. The key aspects of the settlement are that the lawsuit uh, will go away, number one. Number two, Cato, and most important to us, Cato will retain its independence. The Kochs sought uh, a change in Cato's leadership. Indeed, Ed Crane, perhaps a year ago, had offered to step down as Cato's CEO if uh, Cato's independence could be preserved by abandoning the shareholder structure and switching to a member structure where the board elected its own successors. And that is what will occur. We will have a change in leadership at the top, and we will preserve Cato's independence by abandoning the shareholder structure. Ed Crane uh, will be succeeded by John Allison. John Allison is a superstar businessman, He is a superstar libertarian. He comes with impeccable credentials. And I think, uh, very importantly, he is admired and respected, even revered, by parties on both sides, by the Kochs and by the existing Cato board of directors. So we're indeed fortunate to have John as our new CEO down the road. And we are indeed fortunate to preserve Cato's independence as a result of this settlement, which as we speak, is being converted into formal legal documents.
0: What is next? What does this uh, change enable? Obviously, putting to rest uh, this shareholders agreement is something that Ed Crane has wanted for a very long time. What's next?
1: Ed Crane will remain a CEO for a short period. Um, He will work very closely during a transition period with John Allison to make sure that uh, the process is smooth. Ed will continue for some much longer period as a consultant to Cato on fundraising and on other matters as determined uh, by Ed and John. Uh, Cato will um, continue with its uh, astonishing record of success, its expansion. And this comes at a time, of course, when Cato's voice on public policy matters is needed more than ever.
0: Bob Levy is chairman of the Cato Institute. You can subscribe to this podcast and other products of Cato at our website, cato.org.